The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's just bow and pray before we start. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would open up your word to us by your Holy Spirit, because we do need you every hour, especially this hour. So we thank you for this time, and we pray that you would use these words to bring change in our lives. Amen. Well, I don't think there's one single Christian who does not pray and ask God to make him or her more Christ-like. Every true Christian must want to become more and more like Christ. But, do we really mean what we say? Do we really understand what we're asking? When I prepared this sermon, I was absolutely stunned by what I learned. You see, when we think of Christ-likeness, or doing things to glorify God, we almost immediately think of works. The big things that everybody can see or the things by which we can measure our success, progress in our Christian walk. We think these good deeds that are tangible, visible, are the things that matters to God most. So we often associate good works with Christ-likeness. After studying this passage that we will be looking at in a minute, I realized that wanting to do good works is not wrong, but all our good works means nothing if pride is involved. God absolutely hates pride. Humility is what he wants. So please turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Now to get the full picture we will read from verse 1, but we will only be looking at verses 5 through 11 in our study of God's word today. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion fulfill my joy, that you think the same way, by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, 
who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, in verse 5, we are being commanded to follow Christ's example. His way of thinking. Now, this example, this attitude is, is something that the world does not appreciate. The world does not recommend humility to those who want to be successful in the business or sports world. And often, humility is seen as a characteristic of someone who is insignificant. And from a worldly perspective, humility is a sign of weakness. Yet, the Word of God in various places commands us to be Christ-like. And from today's passage, we will see that Christ-likeness and humility is actually inseparable. So let's begin by looking at Christ's example of humility. Verse 6 says, Christ, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now there are two truths stated here that I want you to take note of. Number one is the fact that Christ eternally has been God, although existing in the form of God, so he's always been there. Number two, the fact that Jesus is God wasn't something that he considered to be so important that he had to hold on to it. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, to be grasped here simply means something to cling to, something to hold on to. I want to turn to another passage in Scripture. You don't have to turn there, just listen. John 1 verses 1 through 3, a very, very familiar passage. Just to prove Jesus' eternal pre-existence as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So what this verse in 
Philippians 2, 6 is telling us is that Jesus, who has always been God, did not regard His nature, His deity, to be something to hold on to. And though Christ had all the right to hold on to His privileges, His attitude, His mindset was to be humble. I recently read a, a short story about a water barrier who had to climb into a well with his goatskin water bag to get fresh water for the rest of the tribe. And one day as he climbed back into um, this well to draw water with this big goat skin on his back, he slipped and fell. Unfortunately, he broke his leg and his fellow tribe members tried to help him, but nobody managed to get him out of this wall. So they went and reported the incident to the chief of the tribe. Now this chief got up from his royal chair, took off his royal garments and removed his head dressing and climbed into this well himself. He tied this young man to his back and carried him on his back back to the surface. Now whether this story is true or not, I don't know, but I think it's a good way to illustrate this point. When the chief took off his royal clothes, he left his royal seat. He did not lose his status as a chief. Now he still remained chief, but he did not regard the fact that he was chief of this tribe as something to hold on to. He did not let his status prevent him from saving someone who was of a lower rank. And this is exactly what Christ did. He did not regard his godly nature as something to hold on to, but instead he emptied himself. He humbled himself to save sinners like you and me. So how does this apply to our lives? Well, to begin with, Paul wrote this to exhort the believers in Philippi to walk in a Christ-like manner. With a Christ-like mindset. In other words, in humility. So, whatever your position is, whether you come from a royal family or from a very humble background, Ultimately, who and what you are should not be regarded as anything worth holding on to. If you don't mind, I would like to use someone in our congregation. Unfortunately, he's not here, or fortunately. Um, but you all know Uncle Keith. Well, I think he's a very prim and proper gentleman. And he's also much older than most of us here in this building today. But yet, he does not regard himself as too much of a gentleman or too old to stand and wash dishes while we enjoy a cup of tea and fellowship. Beautiful example of humility, isn't it? Why is humility so important? Well, 
This is the example Christ himself has set before us. If Christ, who is fully God, did not regard his deity as something to hold on to, how much more should we, who have been made by him, who have been made for him, who have been bought by him with his own blood, how much more should we humble ourselves? I mean, we're nothing, nothing compared to Christ. We're dust. What is so ridiculous is, for some reason we think we are way too high above others to serve them. In contrast to Christ, we regard who and what we are as something worth holding on to. How dare we? Verse 7 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Now here Paul contrasts what Christ could have done. He could have regarded his equality with God as something to hold on to. But instead he emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave by being made in the likeness of men. Now there's an unfortunate misunderstanding concerning Christ's emptying himself um, that we need to address. What does Paul mean by Christ emptied himself? Well, some argue that Christ emptied himself of his deity, implying that for the time while he was here on earth, he was not fully God, and that he exchanged his deity for humanity. That, of course, is not true. By definition, it is impossible for the eternal, immutable God to cease to exist as God. There was never a moment when Christ was not fully God. In John 10 verse 30, Jesus said to the Jews, I and the Father are one. Now this implies that while Christ was on earth, he was one with God, the Father meaning he was still fully God. And that is why we talk of Christ as being the God-man, meaning he's 100% God and also 100% man at the same time. Never was he either one or the other. So what does Paul mean by Christ emptied himself? Let me first say this, with empty himself, Paul doesn't mean to pour out. So he never meant that Christ poured out or emptied himself of his divine attributes. Rather, what Paul means by saying Christ emptied himself is that Christ nullified himself. The King James Version puts it like this, he made himself of no reputation. In other words, Christ did not regard being equal with God as something to hold on to. But instead, he took the form of a slave by being made in the likeness of men. Now, this shows that Christ did not empty himself by subtracting from himself his divine attributes, but rather by he 
emptied himself by adding to himself the form of a slave. It's like when you're married. Obviously, you're a husband. Maybe you have kids, so you're also a father. Now, when you go to work during the week, let's say you're a traffic officer. When you are at work in your uniform, that doesn't make you less of a father or a husband. You don't stop being a husband and a father when you put on your uniform. In the same way, Christ, although he has put on the form of a slave, he did not stop being God. He remained fully God, but also became fully man. Now from this very short verse, we can draw so many applications. Just think for a moment about what Christ did. He did not force anyone to submit to him or demand that anyone should serve him. Instead, he came into this world in the form of a slave and became the example that we should follow. He never claimed any rights. What do we do? In today's world, nothing is wrong, nothing is sinful, because everything is considered to be a human right. We can abort our unborn children because it's our right. People can undergo sex changes because it's their body, it's their right. So we can go on and on. But the truth is that all these so-called rights in this world are all springing forth from selfishness and pride. Totally the opposite of what Christ came and modeled for us. It is not strange how, is it not strange, how humans who have been created by God, created to serve God, desire the opposite? I mean, so many people desire to be God. People love being worshipped. The world does not want to serve others, nor do they want to serve the one who created them. For the world, it's all about self-worship. If you serve others, if you are someone with a humble spirit, then you're considered to be weak. The world wants to be God, but Christ, who is God, did not regard his deity as something to hold on to. Instead, he emptied himself. Now, which camp do you belong to? The camp of the prideful who claim all kinds of rights, who does everything out of selfishness, or the camp of the humble ones? who does not regard themselves as too important to follow Christ. Now look at verse 8 with me. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As you'll note, the focus now shifts from Christ's deity and from a heavenly focus to his humanity, to 
to an earthly focus. Christ was a man just like every other man. In fact, he was so fully human in his appearance that almost nobody believed that he was God. He came from a humble family, from a humble little town. He had a humble job. Nothing was spectacular about his humanity. Notice, he, he, he humbled himself out of his own free will. Not only did he humble himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, but he remained humble throughout his whole life. And his humility did not stop there. He took it even further in that he did not once demand or claim even your most basic right. But he humbled himself. He humbly subjected himself to suffering and persecution by the hands of those whom he created. And his humiliation did not stop there. He took it even further by dying a death that was reserved for the worst criminals and slaves. There was nothing heroic nor anything noble about dying on a cross. It was considered shameful, disgraceful. And not only that, this death was an accursed death too. Deuteronomy 21 verse 23 says, For he who is hanged is accursed of God. You see, he was made a curse for you and me. He came to serve us by bearing our sins in his body on the cross. Mark 10 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, may become rich. Even though Christ was equal with God, he submitted in all obedience to his Father's will. Becoming man was humbling. And taking the nature of a servant was even more humbling. But Christ went all the way. He humbled, he, he humbled himself to the extent of willingly dying like a common criminal on a cross. And I know that many, probably thousands, died in this same manner, but what makes Christ's death so unique is the fact that he did not die for what he had done. He was sinless with no penalty to pay. He died for others. He died to pay the penalty for the sins of the elect. And listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He willingly laid down 
his life for his sheep. Now Paul exhorts us as believers to have the same mindset that Christ had. The same mindset which enables us to lay aside our rights in order to serve Christ, his people. If we say we follow Christ, we must also say we want to live as he lived. We should develop the same attitude of humility as we serve, even if it costs us our life. How can we selfishly cling to our own life, our rights, when Christ regarded His life, His rights, as nothing to hold to? Did not Jesus say, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And did he not say, he who does not take his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. Now from verse 9, there's another shift. We move from Christ's humility to his exaltation. Here we see the result that Christ's humility brought forth. Paul could not have used a better example of humility than the example of Christ Jesus. No greater moral could be given than that of Jesus. Jesus modeled humility from even before he came to earth to be born in the form of a slave. Before that, he had to make the decision not to hold on to his position as the Son of God, but to humble himself in order to come and serve and save the lost. Thus, Jesus served others more completely than any other servant or slave who has ever lived. Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of humility. Verse 9 says, Therefore, for this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So following the humiliation of Christ came his exaltation. But notice, God did not merely exalt him. God highly exalted him. God bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. And again, notice Christ's humility even in his exaltation. He did not crown or exalt himself. No. The Father exalted him. The Father crowned him. And Jesus did not elevate himself to the Father's right hand. He did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty. The Father lifted him there. While Jesus was on earth, no one ever highly exalted him. Instead, men sharply disapproved of him. They mocked him, and where words were not hard enough, they would use stones, as we read in John 10, 31. And when stones were not hard enough, 
they settled for nails and death on a cross. When Peter and John stood before the council in Acts 4, they said to the council, This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, but which became the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone who received also the name above all names. Peter and John continue by declaring that there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. The focus is on Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is what Christianity is all about. That's what our faith is all about. This one person, Jesus Christ. He is the center of our faith. I love what Spurgeon said about this matter. He said, and I quote, O Christian, sit down and consider that your master did not mount from earth's mountains into heaven, but from her valleys. It was not from heights of bliss on earth that he strode to bliss eternal, but from depths of woe he mounted up to glory. What a stride was that when at one mighty step from the grave to the throne of the highest, the man Christ, the God, did gloriously ascend. And yet reflect he in some way, mysterious yet true, was exalted because he suffered. Have you noticed that the Christian life is full of opposites? And that's not all. Most of the time, these opposites seem to contradict themselves too. We must die to self if we want to live for Christ. We must declare spiritual bankruptcy if we want to be spiritually rich. We must mourn if we want to be happy. We must hunger if we want to be satisfied. We must lose our life if we want to save it. And if we save it, we will lose it. And here in today's passage, we're looking at to, uh, uh, which we're looking at today, perhaps the, the greatest contradiction. We must humble ourselves if we are to be exalted. Humility is a word that means to think or to judge ourselves with lowliness. Do you have humility? Would you consider yourself to be a humble person? Be careful. Someone once said, humility is one of those things that if you think you have it, then you don't. Let's look at our last two verses, verses 10 and 11. So that at the time of Jesus, 
at the name of Jesus. Sorry. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice how verse 10 starts. So that. This implies purpose. All along there has been a purpose for Christ's humiliation. There has been purpose behind his life as a slave, a servant. There has been purpose behind his shameful death. There has been purpose behind his suffering and his humility. Now you may ask, so what was the purpose of Christ's humiliation? The purpose is so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and the, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just think about this for a moment. Literally every knee will bow. That means the biggest atheist, the most evil Satanist, the most radical Muslim, all will bow the knee before Jesus Christ. And that's not all. From this text we learn that basically the whole creation will bow the knee before Christ. No one and nothing is excluded. Whether you want to or not, you will bow the knee. And not only will everyone and everything bow the knee, but everyone and everything will, with their mouths, confess that Jesus is Lord. I just want to add this. Although everyone will bow the knee before Christ and confess that He is Lord, there still will be two groups of people. Those who in this life rejected Christ, who refused to bow the knee and confess with their mouths that He is Lord, who wanted nothing to do with denying themselves, taking up their cross and follow Jesus, those who refused to humble themselves. Then there will be the group who humbled themselves, who bowed the knee and who confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those who denied themselves, laid down their lives for the cause of Christ and His gospel. Those who took up their cross in humility and followed Christ's example. There will also be two destinations. And those who humbled themselves and bowed the knee, they will get to be with Christ for eternity. And then those who rejected Him until death, although they will someday bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord, for them it will be too late. And they will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire, where they will be without Christ, without grace for eternity. We now come to the very last phrase of verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. This means that everything we looked at this morning, everything, the purpose behind all of it, 
is to glorify our heavenly Father. Christ's humiliation, the fact that he regarded his equality with God, not something to hold on to, the fact that Jesus willingly took upon himself the form of a slave, the fact that Jesus remained humble and obedient unto death, the fact that he willingly died a death that was reserved for the scum of the earth, all of that to glorify his Father. And what does Jesus get in return? He's exalted by his Father, but also he gets a bride. A bride that consists out of stiff-necked, prideful rebels like you and me who have been saved by grace through faith in this God-man, Jesus Christ. And yet the world rejects him. Why do the world reject Christ? Well, we can make a very good argument that pride is one of the major reasons. So do you see that pride cannot please God? Do you see that when we are humble with a Christ-like humility, then and only then do we please God? And do we bring glory to God the Father? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by becoming more and more like Christ. What does Christ-likeness look like? You deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus in His humiliation. You share in His suffering. Do you see how your pain, your suffering, your own humiliation has purpose too? Listen to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4 verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. 1 Peter 3, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange that a fiery trial will test you. It is not strange at all. Rejoice whatever you suffer, because you are sharing in the suffering of Christ. When His glory is seen, you will be glad with utmost joy. For a believer, humility is the most foundational of all Christian virtues. We are sheep, not peacocks. We're servants, not sovereigns. If Christ is to fill our lives, we must empty ourselves. If Christ is so to increase, we must decrease. Paul wrote to the Colossian church, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
We received him in humility. He came in humility. Therefore, we must walk in ever-increasing humility. The more we mature spiritually, the more humble we must become. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you have established that you hate pride and you desire humility in your people. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Help us to, to follow the example of Christ. Humble us, please Lord, that one day we might be exalted in your presence. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you.